0: Welcome back, Heming Brainiacs, to book four, chapter five of Buddenbrooks. It seems that after three years Tony is finally seeing through Grunlich's lies and did he say she doesn't like children? Swim said the fishy says regarding the podcast and the guy who died last chapter was Liebrecht Kroger Junior's father-in-law. Ah, okay. So Junior's wife's father. Junior has frequently lamented that he might not get any inheritance money from that side of the family because of their spendthrift ways. Jan Brunt says, thank you for that by the way, Swim, Um, makes perfect sense. There we go. Clears that up. I knew he was a vital character. I just couldn't quite brain it together. Jan Brunt says, typical miser behavior from Grunlich, a big chop and wine for breakfast, bath, but not even a nanny for little Erica. The lack of a carriage I chalk up to his desire to control Tony and keep her from having any friends at all. You reckon that's what he's doing there? Could be. He does seem to just want to keep her in, like, in a little pigeonhole, you know, like, keep her confined within what she knows it's like he doesn't want her to figure something out, but we're not sure what that something is just yet. TA131901 says, Wow, unpleasant scene at breakfast. Actually, I think it's true. Tony doesn't like children. She likes the fashionable, comfortable life. I don't really blame her. That was the incentive for marrying Gross Grunlich. Grunlich, in turn, doesn't seem to like Tony or her family. Yeah, what? I'm kind of left wondering, like, why did Grunlich want to marry her so badly? What was his motive there? Did he genuinely just think she was, like, irresistible? Maybe it was real, just actual irresistibility. Anywho, what are we going to read now? Chapter 6. I'm just flicking my way there. Here we go. Goes like this Her Kesselmayer entered unannounced as a friend of the house without a hat or coat. He paused, however, near the door. His looks corresponded exactly to the description Tony had given to her mother. He was slightly thick set as the figure, but neither fat nor lean. He wore a black, already somewhat shiny coat short, tight trousers of the same material and a white waistcoat over which went a long, thin watch chain and two or three eyeglass cords. His clipped white beard was in sharp contrast with his red face. It covered his cheeks and left his chin and lips free. His mouth was small and mobile with two yellowish pointed teeth in the otherwise vacant gum of his lower jaw and he was pressing these into his upper lip as he stood absently by the door, with his hands in his trousers, pockets, and the black and white down on his head, waving slightly, although there was not the last, the least perceptible draf- draught. Finally, he drew his hands out of his pockets, bowed, released his lip, and with difficulty freed one of his eyeglass cords from the confusion on his waistcoat. He lifted his pince-nez, pince-nez? and put it with a single gesture astride his nose. Then he made the most astonishing grimaces, looked at the husband and wife, and remarked, Aha! He used this expression with extraordinary frequency and a surprising variety of inflections. He might say it with his head thrown back, his nose wrinkled up, mouth wide open, hands swishing about in the air, with a long, drawn-out nasal metallic sound, like a Chinese gong, or he might, with still funnier effect, toss it out gently en passant, or with one, any one of a thousand different shades of tone or meaning. His a was very clouded and nasal. Today it was hurried, lively, aha, accompanied with a jerk of the head, that seemed to arise from an unusual pleasant mood. And yet might not be trusted to be so, for the fact was Banker Kesselmayer never behaved more gaily than when he was dangerous. When he jumped about, emitting a thousand ahas, lifting his glasses to his nose and letting them fall again, waving his arms, chattering plainly quite beside himself with the light-headedness, then you might be sure that evil was gnawing at his inner, at his inwards. "'Herr Grunlich looked at him blinking with unconcealed mistrust. "'Already so early?' he asked. "'Aha,' answered Herr Kesselmeier, "'and waved one of his small red-wrinkled hands in the air as if to say, "'Patience, there is a surprise coming. "'I must speak with you without any delay. I must speak with you.' "'The words sounded irresistibly comic as he rolled each one about "'before giving it out with exaggerated movements of his little toothless mobile mouth.' He rolled his eyes as if his palate were greased, Her Grunlich blinked more and more suspiciously. "'Come and sit down, Herr Kesselmeyer,' said Tony. "'I'm glad you've come. Listen. You can decide between us. Grunlich and I have been disagreeing. Now, tell me, ought a three-year-old child to have a governess or not?' But Her Kesselmeier seemed not to be attending. He had seated himself and was rubbing his stubbly beard with his forefinger, making a rasping sound, his mouth as wide open as possible, nose as wrinkled, while he stared over his glasses with an indescribably sprightly air at the elegantly appointed breakfast table, the silver bread basket, the label on the wine bottle. "'Grundlich says I am ruining him,' Tony continued. Her Kesselmayer looked at her, then he looked at her, Grundlich. Then he burst out into an astonishing fit of laughter. "'You are ruining him, you, you are ruining him. That is it, is it?' "'Ah, oh, good gracious heavens and earth, you don't say. "'That is a joke. "'That is a tremendous, tremendous joke.' "'He let out a stream of ha all in run together. Her Grunlich was plainly nervous. "'He squirmed on his seat. "'He ran his long finger down between his collar and his neck "'and let his golden whiskers glide through his hand. "'Kesselmayer,' he said, "'control yourself, man. "'Are you out of your head? "'Stop laughing. "'Will you have some wine or a cigar? "'What are you laughing at?' What am I laughing at? Yes, yes. Give me a glass of wine. Give me a cigar. Why am I laughing? So you think your wife is ruining you? She is very luxuriously inclined, her grinlet, she said irritably. Tony did not contradict him. She leaned calmly back, her hands in her lap, on the velvet ribbons of her frock and her pert upper lip in evidence. Yes, I am, I know. I have it from Mamma. All the Krogers are fond of luxury. She would have admitted in the same calm way that she was frivolous, revengeful, or quick-tempered. Her strongly developed family sense was instinctively hostile to to conceptions of free will and self-development. It inclines her rather to recognize and accept her own characteristics wholesale with fatalistic indifference and toleration. She had unconsciously the feeling that any trait of hers, no matter of what kind, was a family tradition and therefore worthy of respect. Herr Grunlich had finished breakfast, and the fragrance of the two cigars mingled with the warm air from the stove. "'Will you take another, Kesselmeier? said the host. "'I'll pour you out another glass of wine. You want to see me?' "'Anything pressing. Is it important? Too warm here, is it? Well, we'll drive into town together afterwards. It is cooler in the smoking-room.' To all this, Herr Kesselmeyer simply shook his head in the air, as if to say, "'This won't get us anywhere, my dear friend.' At length, they got up, and while Tony remained in the dining room to see that the servant maid cleared away, Herr Grunlich led his colleague through the pensy room. With his head bent, drawing his long beard reflectively through his fingers, Herr Kesselmeyer rode into the room with his arms and disappeared behind him. Ten minutes passed... Tony had gone into the salon to give the polished nut wood secretary and the curved table legs her personal attention with the aid of a gay little feather duster. Then she moved slowly through the dining room into the living room with dignity and marked self-respect. The Demoiselle Bodenbrook had plainly not grown less important in her own eyes since becoming Madame Grunlich. She held herself very erect, chin in, and looked down at the world from above, she carried in one hand her little lacquered key basket, the other was in the pocket of her gown, whose soft folds played about her. The naive expression of her mouth betrayed that the whole of her dignity and importance were a part of a beautiful, childlike, innocent game which she was constantly playing with herself. In the pensive room she busied herself with a little brass sprinkler, watering the black earth around her plants. She loved her palms. They gave her so much elegance into the room. She touched carefully a young shoot on one of the thick, round stems, examined the majestically unfolded fans, and cut away a yellow tip here and there with the scissors. Suddenly she stopped. The conversation in the next room, which had for several minutes been assuming a livelier tone, became so loud that she could hear every word, though the door and the portieres were both heavy. "'Don't shriek like that. Control yourself for God's sake,' she heard her Grundlich say. His weak voice could not stand the strain and went off in a squeak. Take another cigar, he went on, with desperate mildness. Yes, thanks, with the greatest pleasure, answered the banker. And there was a pause while he presumably helped himself. Then he said, in short, will you or won't you, one or the other? Castlemayer, give me an extension. Aha! No, no, my friend, there is no question of an extension. That's not the point now. Why not? What is stirring you up to this? Be reasonable, for heaven's sake. You've waited this long. Not a day longer, my friend. Yes, we'll say eight days, but not an hour longer. But can't we rely any longer on... No names, Kesselmeyer. No names, good. But doesn't someone rely any longer on his estimable her... Pu- no hints either. My God, don't be a fool. Very good, no hints either. But we have no claim any what longer. What should I set the alarm for? The hell... My phone just did that in my pocket. Scared the bejeebahs out of me. Uh, where was I up to before Google interrupted us? Um, very good. No hints either. But we have no claim any longer on the well known firm with whom our credit stands and falls, my friend. How much did it lose by the Bremen failure? 50,000? 70,000? 100,000? More? The sparrows on the housetops know that it was involved, heavily involved. Yesterday, well, no names, yesterday the well-known firm was good, and it was unconsciously protecting you against pressure. Today its stock is flat, and B, Grunlich's stock is the flattest of the flat. Is that clear? Do you grasp it? You are the first man to notice a thing like that. How are people treating you? How do they look at you? Beck and Goodsticker are perfectly agreeable, give you the same terms as usual, and the bank, they will extend. You aren't lying, are you? Oh no, I know they gave you a jolt yesterday, a very, very sim- stimulating jolt, hey? You see, oh, don't be embarrassed, it is to your interest, of course, to pull the wool over my eyes so that the others will be quick, quiet. Hey, my friend, well, you'd better write to the console. I'll wait a week. A part payment, Kesselmayer. Part payment? Rubbish. One accepts part payment to convince oneself for the time of a debtor's ability to play, pay. Do I need to make experiments of that kind on you? I am perfectly well informed about your ability to pay. Ah ha ha ha. Part payment. That's a very good joke. Moderate your voice, Kesselmeyer. Don't laugh all the time in that cursed way. My position is so serious. Yes, I admit it is serious, but I have such and such business in hand. Everything may still come out all right. Listen. Wait a minute, give me an extension and I'll sign it for 20%. Nothing in it, nothing in it, my friend. Very funny, very amusing. Oh yes, I'm in favor of selling at the right time. You promised me 8% and I extended. You promised me 12 and 16% and I extended every time. Now you offer me 40% and I shouldn't consider it, not for a moment. Since Brother Westfall and Bremen fell on his nose, everybody is for the moment freeing himself from the well-known firm and getting on a sound basis. As I say, I'm for selling at the right time. I've held your signatures as long as Johann Buddenbrook was good. In the meantime, I could write up the interest on the capital, and increase the per cent. But one only keeps a thing so long as it is rising, or at least keeping steady. When it begins to fall, one sells, which is the same as saying I want my capital. Kesselmeier, you are shameless. Ha <laughs> ha! Shameless am I? That's very charming, very funny. What do you want? You must apply to your father-in-law. The credit bank is raging, and you know you are not exactly spotless. No, Kesselmeyer, I adjure you to hear me quietly. I'll be perfectly frank, I confess that my situation is serious. You and the credit bank are not the only ones. There are notes of hand, everything seems to have gone to pieces at once. Of course, naturally, it is certainly a clean-up, a liquidation. No, Kesselmeyer, hear me out. Do take another cigar. This one is not half finished. Leave me alone with your cigars. Pay up. Kesselmeyer, don't let me smash. You are a friend of mine. You have eaten at my table. And maybe you haven't eaten at mine? Yes, yeah, but, yes, but don't refuse me credit now, Kesselmeyer. Credit? It's credit now, is it? Are you in your senses? A new loan? Yes, Kesselmayer. I swear to you a little, a trifle. I only need... "'to make a few payments and advances here and there "'to get on my feet again and restore confidence. "'Help me and you will be doing a big business. "'As I said, I have a number of affairs on hand. "'They may still all come out right. "'You know how shrewd and resourceful I am. "'I know what a numbskull you are. "'Adult, a nincompoop, my dear friend. "'Will you have the goodness to tell me "'what your resourcefulness can accomplish at this stage?' Perhaps there is a bank somewhere in the wide world that will lend you a shilling, or another father-in-law. Ah, no, you already played your best card, you can't play it twice. With all due respect, my dear fellow, and my highest regards, speak lower, devil take you. You are a fool, shrewd, and resourceful, are you? Yes, to the other chap's advantage, you're not scrupulous, I'll say that for you. But much good it's done you. You have played tricks and wormed capital out of people by a hook or crook just to pay me, my twelve or sixteen percent. You threw your honor overboard without getting any return. You have a conscience like a butcher's dog, and yet you are nothing but a ninny, a scapegoat. There are always such people. They are too funny for words. Why is it you are so afraid to apply to the person we mean with the whole story?" "'Isn't it because there was crooked work four years ago? "'Perhaps it wasn't all quite straight. "'What, are you afraid, that's certain things?' "'Very well, Kesemail, I will write. "'But su- suppose he refuses, suppose he lets me down?' "'Oh, ha-ha, then we will just have a bankruptcy, "'a highly amusing little bankruptcy. "'That doesn't bother me at all, so far as I am concerned. "'I have about covered my expenses with the interest you have scratched together.' And I have the priority with the assets. Oh, you wait, I shan't come short. I know everything pretty well, my good friend. I have in inventory already in my pocket. Aha. We shall see that no dressing gown and no silver bread basket gets away. Kesselmeyer, you sat at my table. Oh be quiet with your table. In eight days I'll be back for the answer. I shall walk into town. The fresh air will do me good. Good morning, my friend, good morning. And her Kesselmeyer seemed to depart. Yes he went. She heard his odd shuffling walk in the corridor and imagined him rowing along with his arms. Her Grunlich entered the Pensy room and saw Tony standing there with a little watering can in her hand. She looked at him in the face. "'What are you looking at? Why are you staring like that?' he said to her. He showed his teeth and made a vague movement in the air with his hands and wiggled his body from side to side. His rosy face could not become actually pale, but it was spotted red and white with a scarlet fever.' It was spotted red and white like a scarlet fever patient. Alrighty, there we go. Another chapter down and a lot of pieces just fell into place, did they not? Bloody Grundlich Alright guys, thank you very much for listening and I'll see you tomorrow.